And so we now come to the final chapter of this short little book. Um, Christians, we're going to learn today, can be as carnal, as fleshly, as non-Christians. Peter actually says, don't, you know, if you get put in prison for righteousness sake, don't, don't feel bad about that. But then he gives a list of th- reasons the Christians might end up in prison. And the first is murder. <laughs> don't be put in prison because of murder or being a thief. Uh, <laughs> these kind of things, which, again, there are some that say that once we become Christian, that we no longer have a full free will. Because Holy Spirit lives in us, we can choose between a hot dog and a hamburger, but that's about it. But no, guys, even as born-again believers, God's Spirit living in us, every day we wake up like Adam and Eve did, (laughs) with a full spectrum of choice. And we can walk in the Spirit and do something that non-believers can't do, bear good fruit, acceptable to God. That's how good it is, because it's through the power of his spirit. But on the same way, if we don't wake up and seek God first and his kingdom and his righteousness, if we don't get strengthened in the inner man, then either our flesh or the world or the devil will be able to have the power to steer us for that moment, for that day, in a less fruitful way or maybe even an unfruitful way. And so um, when we give our will to seek God in the word or prayer or live for him, God realizes what a cross that is, how difficult that is. We got to beat our body in subjection. We got to crucify our flesh with its passions and desires. And and God says, man, that is an acceptable sacrifice that you've given your body to do my will. And you had the pressure of a sinful body. You had the pressure of a sinful world. The devil was giving you uh, difficulty and you still walked on that narrow road that leads to life and and fruitfulness. And it brings him great joy. But understand, very soon we're going to be out of these bodies and in heaven, there's no sin. There's no devil. There would be no need to crucify our bodies with its passions and desires because we're going to have a new heavenly body that equally with our spirit wants to do the will of God. So if you want to live a sacrificial life to, to, to love God, time's running now. I mean, if you have another 50 years, which I'm being very generous with this crown, Right? That's no offense, no offense, sorry. Talking about myself. I was talking about myself. Um, (laughs) That's only 18,000 days. 18,250 days. That's it. That's not very many. But once we die, once the Lord raptures us, we never again can show God our love by denying ourselves and taking up a cross and following Him. But I think the Calvinistic doctrine does great damage in telling people, no, if you're really born again, you don't have the full spectrum of choice. And then when Calvinists do do the full spectrum of choice, they say, oh, you just never really had saving faith to begin with. 
God never intended that. The gospel message is certainty from the very second we believe. We shall never perish. We shall have eternal life. But, again, that's not the issue, is it? The issue is you and your flesh, your day, your time, and, and understanding that God's given us a yoke. That yoke is not burdensome. As a matter of fact, it's even light. To those who love God, it says in 1 John, the things that God asks of us are not burdensome. When my wife is sitting in bed at night and she goes, oh, I need some more water, I love getting up and giving her water. I, I love serving my wife. Nobody else but her. But no, I love serving people. I love serving you. And, and this is it. When we love God, even the most difficult things he asks us to do, deny ourselves, take up a cross, it's with great joy, right? So we, we're going to learn today that there's got a couple of ladies that are real spiritual heavyweights, but yet they're acting carnal towards one another in the church. Two main leaders of the church, which both happen to be women, are at odds with one another, splitting the church. You say, well, if they were really spiritual, they wouldn't be having that problem. Sorry, Christians can have every possible problem non-Christians can have. The difference is we have a solution, which is get your eyes on Jesus. Get your mind on Jesus. Be of the same mind with one another, which is the same mind of Christ. Well, we're going to look today at this last chapter in the first three verses. Let's read it together there. In verse 1, therefore, my beloved, the King James says, dearly beloved. I like that better. Long for, brethren, my joy, my crown. Do you think Paul liked these guys? I think he did. So stand fast in the Lord, and he says it a second time, beloved or dearly beloved. I implore, beseech, beg, entreat, Judea, and I equally implore, I'm not taking any sides here, I'm going to use the word twice, <laughs> equally implore, Sinechi, to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you also, true companion, we don't know who that is, maybe Epaphroditus, who brought the letter from, from Paul, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of fellow workers, I love this last line, whose names are in the book of life. So before we go on, I, I want to stop and, and give a little history lesson. Because when you look at verse 1, it starts with a therefore, and it's actually referring to what he just said in chapter 3. And actually, chapter 4, verse 1, that is where the break is. It's not before verse 1. Verse 2 is the one that starts a brand new thought. So we really should have ended chapter 3 with chapter 4, verse 1. Why didn't that happen? Or why did it happen? Well, we actually go back in time, and I think many of you might want to know this, that in 1227 A.D., Stephen Langton, the Archbishop of Canterbury, um, he's the one who added chapters to the Bible. So, you know, 
when the Philippians were being read the letter of Paul, there were no chapters and verses. They could end a thought and start a thought as they willed. But of course, it would be very hard to say, now where, was, where did Paul say that stand fast? Oh, I don't know, give me a minute. It'll take a little while to find it. And of course, people would say, let me have the letter. I'm going to make my own copy. And everybody in the church probably did, or a big percentage of the church made their own copy. And when they talked about it, they had to try to find it. It was difficult. So Stephen Langton in 1227, which is 1,200 years after Christ, it's funny because there weren't enough pastors for the churches in those days. So many of the pastors would have to get on a mule or a horse and ride from one city to another to pastor several churches. And Stephen Lincoln was no exception to that. So they worked on their horse because they would be there for hours. And they say that Stephen Lincoln, uh, when the horse stumbled or bucked a little bit and he made a mark that he believed the Holy Spirit led him to end the chapter there. That's sort of the joke. I got a feeling there's more truth than, than fiction to that story because several times we have going, that was a horrible place to start a new chapter. And we sort of have to talk about it a minute. Well, later, the verse division with Robert Stephanus or Estini, but known mostly as Stephanus. And this happened in 1,555, a little easier to remember. Now, before that, a Jewish rabbi by the name of Nathan, that's it, no last names, in 1448, did the verse divisions in um, the Old Testament. But really, um, Stephanus uh, did his own. And that's where we get it from. So it's quite a miracle that the Jews in the Jewish Bible have accepted the Protestant chapter and verse divisions, which is sort of interesting. So now that you got that little piece of history out of the way, I hope it helps. Um, we see therefore. And so really, he's referring to the end of the first two verses, which I doubt any of you remember from last week because I, I have a hard time remembering by the next day sometimes. But Philippians 3, let's go back to that, verse 20 and 21. For our, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed into a glorious body. Amen to that? According to the working by which he is able to even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, be steadfast in the Lord, beloved. What is he saying? Time is running out. It will be sooner than you think that we're going to be in our new bodies. So guys, stand fast knowing we're out of this situation. And I might say on the negative side, we no longer throughout all of eternity will be able to beat our body into subjection, deny ourselves, take up a cross, spend a weekend helping somebody move, playing the cell phone in the middle of somebody's sermon. <laughs> so 
Paul, in essence, is saying in these three verses, the last two verses of chapter 3 and beginning of verse 1 is, Philippians, hang on, because heaven and our new bodies in particular are on the way. Well, moving on in verse 1, he says twice, my beloved or my dearly beloved. Then he ends the verse 1 with the same phrase, making it doubly so how much he loves them. Boy, isn't it comforting to know that your leaders truly love the people, love the church. And Paul, Paul gave such a great example of that. Look at the words that Paul uses. He cares for them. He loves them. God, help us to love the people. That God is, we're all ministers to some degree. It's out of love. It's a real... Um, Important element, matter of fact, it, it really is that which is the element that reveals Christ in the church. In John 13, 3, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love for one another. He's not saying love for the non-Christians out in the world, even though that's true. But he's talking about just loving one another. Did the apostles have a hard time loving one another sometimes? Oh my goodness, they sure did. In 1 John 3, 14, we know that we pass from death to life because we love who? The brethren. In 1 Corinthians 13, without love, the church, the assembly of the church is pretty annoying. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, man, that would be great, wouldn't it? But have not love, I become a sounding brass, a clinging cymbal. Man, that can be annoying. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can move mountains, wow, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Do you hear what the, he's saying here? That it has to be a response of love towards God in order to have treasure in heaven, but also has to be a love towards one another for God to count that as a treasure in heaven. You see, all religions, you're obeying, you're going to church, you're doing the prayers, you're doing the good works because it's for me to earn my way to heaven with my good works. The focus is on me to be righteous so God won't reject me on that day before the pearly gates. So my motive of the good works is trying to earn favor with God or earn salvation or to prove to God that I'm worthy to go to heaven. All religions do that. But if you understand the gospel, salvation's a gift of God. You cannot earn it. It's not of yourself. It's not of works. And it takes a lot of faith to believe that and keep believing that. Because there's no backup plan, you know? It's sort of like rock climbing without a rope. <laughs> Free climbing is what they call it. It's like we're saved as a gift of God or we're dead. <laughs> but once you come to know and trust in the Lord, he's faithful even when we're not. He's got us in his hand. He's never gonna let us go. All that come unto the Son, none shall perish. All of them shall be raised up on the last day by Jesus.
once the salvation issue is gone, now it's just, why, why am I going to church? Because I, I want to love God, and, and I know God wants me to love his people. I'm going to go there and wash every foot, listen to every word, hug, smile, encourage everybody I can. Why am I reading my Bible today? Because the Lord has asked me to, and he wants to speak to me. And that's how I grow in the inner man. And I know that's pleasing to God. And I want to do all things that are pleasing to God. I want to love what he loves to the degree he loves it. I want to hate what God hates, the degree he hates it. Boy, that's, that's some righteous stuff to get you into heaven. No, I, I want to do it because I love him. And I've reasoned thus, that if one died for all, then all should die to live for him. That's the only motive. It has to be. Now, I don't think we ever have always a perfectly pure motive, but that's our goal, is just out of love to Jesus. And Jesus says, you really want to love me? Love one another. Because if you're not loving one another, even though you're saying you're loving me, it's not happening. The love, a true love for God, he says, we manifested in how you love one another. And so without that single element, it's a clanging cymbal, a blasting trumpet. It does nothing for us. It adds no treasure in heaven. There's no reward. And then he says the next thing, longed for, brethren, with joy. He longs for them. This is a very strong word to mean to pursue in love, a long after Literally, it means this, you are my source of gladness. And because you're my source of gladness, I long for you. I I can tell you right now, for the last 40 years I've been a pastor, when people ask me, Brian, how are you doing? I never can think, how am my Brian Newberry doing? It's, how's the church doing? If the church is doing well, I'm doing great. (laughs) If the church is not doing well, I'm doing horrible. And it's something that's just clearly in my mind when people say, how are you doing? It's how is the body of Christ where I'm pastoring at? And so here Paul is saying the same thing. You guys are my source of joy. And when I hear about the conflict going on, My joy is dampened or taken away because my joy is 100% in a healthy body of Christ, a healthy believers. And then he says, my joy and my crown. In English, we, we sort of immediately think, oh, the crown of a king. They do have that word in the Greek. It only appears three times, all of them at the end of Revelation, and that's the word diadema. But most of the time in the New Testament, it's the word Stephanos, Stephen. There you go, if you didn't know what the name Stephen means. Stephanos. And this is the crown of an Olympic athlete when he gets the gold medal. So today, Paul would say, you are my joy and my gold medal. Peter tells us when us as pastors and leaders, and like I said, all of us to some degree are pastors to somebody, that we're going to stand before God and our crown is 
how is the church? Did I teach good doctrine or bad doctrine? Did I faithfully say all the truth or just the part of the truth they wouldn't offend? And Paul is saying, if I am crowned with a gold medal when I stand before the throne of God, it has to do with, did I be a good pastor, or in this case, apostle of, of the church in Philippi? So help me get the gold medal, guys. Would you help me? It's teamwork here. Hey, I want a gold medal. Come on, pick it up. This is, in essence, what he's saying. And then he tells them now, stand fast in the Lord. This word is exactly what you would think it would be. A, a, a military person not backing down no matter what. We looked at it just a bit ago in, in uh, Samuel, or 1 Samuel chapter 23, we looked at David's mighty men and how these great mighty men of God stood firm when the whole infantry left. They were the only ones, but they stayed there and killed hundreds of people and killed giants and they wouldn't back down. Paul is in essence saying this, persist, keep on moving forward, don't stall out. That's what he just told them in chapter three, verse 14, remember? I, this is my example that you should follow, he says right afterwards, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So you guys, and then he says right after that, but if you find that too much, then stay where you're at and God will eventually reveal the right attitude. Don't, don't hear me say, press forward or get out. I'm not saying get out. I'm saying press forward and at least stay at the place you're at. Don't, don't go backwards. At least stand fast and not go backwards. Continue doing the good works that build you up and others in Christ. Maybe not passionately at this moment, but God will get you there. Galatians 6, 9, we know well. Don't grow weary in doing good. We'll reap if, big if, we don't lose heart. Or I could say if, we, as long as we continue to stand fast, we'll, we'll reap in due season. And here's the greatest verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, there it is, my dearly, my dear brothers who I love, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Boy, when we get to heaven, guys, we're going to say, why didn't I pray more? There were so many prayers that God would have answered, and I just thought to pray. Have you ever done that where you're worried or complaining, and somebody says, Let, let's pray about that? And you're like, oh my goodness, I've been complaining about this for two weeks, and I never even thought to pray about it. And now that you add, ask to pray about it, I'm a little irritated. It's just, no, I want, you know, complain some more um, or whatever. But hey, he, he is saying here very clearly that when we get to heaven and we're rewarded for not growing weary and well-doing, when we get the heavenly treasure that Jesus said so much you're going to want to have, we're going to be so glad on those areas we didn't move, but we stood fast. Those areas that we kept abounding and didn't back down or start going the opposite uh, direction. All the labor, no matter how small it may be, there's going to be rewards in heaven. 
in Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unjust to forget your work, your labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So even though you're, the church is sort of at a division place and you're struggling, the Philippian church that was known as this amazing, strong, giving, loving church, all of that history is recorded in heaven for, for rewards for all of you. But keep it going. Keep moving forward. You guys have sort of plateaued, he says. Don't plateau. Keep moving to the next level. Well, we go now to verse 2. I implore, beg, entreat, Udia. Then he says it again because he doesn't want to look like he's showing favoritism. You know, I implore Udia and Sunichi. Sunichi says, he implored you. Uh, he didn't implore me. Uh, no, I think he implored us both. No, no, no. He said, I implore Udia and Sunichi. So I think it was just you. So Paul makes it real clear. I'm not taking sides here. I implore Udia and I implore Sunichi. <laughs> and here's the answer. Be of the same mind in the Lord. In the Lord. I, I can't be of the same mind on the earth stuff. And we're not doing very good to disagree agreeably. You're both equally offended. You're both equally positioned. You're both equally upset. You're both equally being vocal and getting people on your side of this situation. And it's absolutely carnal. And the only way this could happen when you got two spiritual giants like this is because your eyes got off the Lord and it got earthly rather than heavenly. Paul will say the same thing in the very next book we're going to look at, Colossians 3. You probably know these verses well. If you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So lift your eyes. Oh, okay, I can see the trees. Not high enough. Oh, I can see the horizon. Not high enough. Okay, I'm looking at the moon. No, still not high enough. Okay, I'm looking at the stars, still not high enough. You need to get your eyes on Jesus all the way seated at the right hand of the Father and don't take your eyes off of that. Set your mind on things above. Here's the real important part, not on the things of the earth. If you're focused on earth stuff and you're worried about it and afraid of it and concerned and anxious about it, it's the the. The issue is get your mind on the things above. If you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God, when Christ who is our life, that's what we're supposed to all say, right? Christ is my life. In him, I live and move and have my being. When Christ who is my life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We can read about that in Revelation and so he names the two ladies, Yudia and Sinichi. You're quarreling. This is not good. You should have the same mind of Christ. Now, up to this point, we've been reading this over and over again in Philippians. Be of the same mind. Have the same mind as Christ. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. And now we understand why Paul was saying that. It was for these women. But I wonder if these women were going, oh, that's a wonderful truth everybody needs to apply. 
And now they're going to find out. When Paul was talking about make his joy complete and don't grieve him by not being of the same mind, by not having the same mind of Christ, by not putting everybody's interests before your own interests, seeing everybody is better than yourself. Yeah, I was talking to you two ladies. Everybody else can be blessed by it. But I wonder if these guys got it or if they were in a situation going, yeah, everybody needs to know that except me. I'm, I know that. But you guys need, you know, you lesser Christians need to, to know what Paul is saying here. Pay attention. But in actuality, these very mature Christian ladies were acting completely immature. Paul tells the, first, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's in essence Hebrews 5.12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you again the very first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Ouch. Get, get, the paddle is hurting. I'm getting spanked. I'm getting paddled. It goes on in Hebrews 5.14, but solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason use their senses, exercise to discern both good and evil. In 1 Corinthians 3, we find the entire church was in this carnal, divisive place. In verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians 3, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as babes in Christ. He's talking about the whole church. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. For you are still carnal. Ouch. Where there is envy and strife, and here it is, divisions among you. Are you not carnal behaving like mere men? You might remember earlier in 1 Corinthians, they're going, oh, we like Apollos. He's so deep. Oh, we like it when Peter comes because he's, he's got the, the real experience of being with Christ. Paul Paul, when you come, it's, it's just sort of, it's just not as good as those guys. And Paul is saying, man, if you knew what I was doing with other churches, I, I would love to do that. But I'm having to come and just keep rain, I'm laying down this, the first level of bricks over and over again. Because even though you got the stuff in your head, it's not being lived out in the life because you're carnal. I got to say the great quote that maybe some of you know, to live above with the saints of love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints I know, well, that's another story. <laughs> Problems we have. Well, verse three, I urge and treat once again, you also true companion. I, I, I'm just assuming that's Epaphroditus who brought the letter to them. But if not, it's the pastor of the church, unnamed, we don't know. I love the King James here. He doesn't say true companion. He says yoke fellow. You know what yoke fellow is? It's when you have two horses or two oxen together pulling the plow or pulling the carriage. And it doesn't happen automatically. Every oxen can't be next to another ox. Every horse can't be next to another horse. You have to get them so they're compatible and this is what he is saying. You're 
the true yoke fellow. You're the guy that everybody is able to yoke with you and there's peace. So I'm asking you to take that element of your character, of your maturity in Christ, and teach it, disciple, get it on to these other people because Yudia and Sinichi should be yoked fellows, but they're completely at odds. They're not pulling in the same direction. And so then he goes on to say, Help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so help these women. They're, 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 they're not moving forward. They're not able to be the mighty men of women that I know they are. And I, I need to get them back on track. I can't be there. I'm in prison. I need you to step up and lead. All of us don't want to confront difficult situations. All of us want to ignore it and hope it goes away, right? 99% of people just want to put their head in the dirt like the ostrich. And when we take our head out of the dirt, we hope the, the lion is gone, um, <laughs> And he is saying here to this pastor, going, hey, you're, you're, you're failing. You're failing the church by not discipling these two women to help them grow in maturity, to be of the same mind with Christ. And then he names another guy, Clement. Now, historically, there was a guy in the early church about this time named Clement who actually wrote... Uh, two letters to the church in Corinth that are still in existence and very, very good. They're not canonized with the Bible, but they're still very uh, great letters uh, of encouragement to Christians. Some believe it could be him, but I'll just say this. There was a lot of Clements at this time. It was a pretty common name, and so it could very well not be that. I'd like to think it's that guy, but it very well may not be him. But the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Man, I'm thinking the church in Philippi and all you guys who believe your names in the book of life. In Revelation 20, verse 12, talking about the book of life, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. This is about the, the book of judgment to those whose names are not in the book of life. But then he says, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And then he ends in Revelation 20, 15 with a very sobering reminder. Anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Guys, we need to stop and remind ourselves of our task. Christianity is not getting good people to be better. It's not getting already righteous people to put a shiny coat on their righteousness. All men are born into this world with the fall of Adam and Eve. We are all born into this world fallen creatures. And when we get to the age of accountability, which I think is 20, and we'll be looking at that in the book of Exodus here. After that, you are accountable before God and already the wrath of God abides on you. If you don't believe the one way of salvation, then the way of judgment 
of God's wrath is already upon you. So all men are children of wrath, we just learned in Ephesians. All men are being swayed by the evil one. All men are spiritually dead. Their spirit is not alive. Until they believe on the Lord. Let me tell you about this door of salvation. Let me tell you about how easy it is to get your name in that book of life. The Bible says God's rich to all who call upon his name. That was certainly true with the thief on the cross, wasn't it? Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Did he repent? Did he believe? Did he, he said, receive me. In 1 John 1, 12, as many as receive him, they, they are given the right to be children of God. In essence, their names are written in the book of life. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Christ is the propitiation not for our sins, but also for the sins of what? The whole world. Do we understand that this door is, it's wide open. It's not a tiny little door and, and you know, people get lost trying to find it. The door is the size of the earth. It's easy to find it. People's all the time, God's spirits in the world convicting men of sin, of righteousness, judgment. People wake up and the spirit of God says, you should feel guilty about last night. Your conscience is telling you of guilt. You know that you're not in harmony with God. You know this is selfish and greedy. It's angry. It's destructive. You need to turn to God that you can bear good fruit. God's spirit is speaking nonstop. That's why when we go to witness we start sharing their spirits already bearing witness with our words because God's spirit has gone before all men. The spirit of God's in the world convicting every man of sin, of righteousness. What's the last thing? Judgment. All men are being told every day by the Holy Spirit if their name is not in the book of life, they're gonna go into the lake of fire. We are not just trying to get people in heaven. We're trying to help them escape the fires of hell. And I understand that 90% of Christians in America have given up on the concept of hell. They, they don't believe in it anymore. They just don't believe God was anybody to hell. And therefore, if I share the Lord with you, you're going to heaven. If you receive Christ, you're going to heaven. If you don't receive the Lord, you're going to heaven. If you do, it doesn't matter because I'm picturing a God that just loves everybody and, and everybody eventually is sincere in heart. And except for the Hitlers and uh, the Jeffrey Dahmers, uh, there may be a couple of people like that. But outside of that, everybody makes it to heaven. So relax. Relax. Don't, don't act like you're trying to save somebody from the fires of hell. Christianity is for those who just have a, you know, an extra spiritual DNA. That's why you go to church. I just don't have that DNA. My DNA is more like go to the beach on Sundays. But, you know, you, you kind of people, mostly weak-minded type people, need comfort. You know, you guys understand why you go to church, but normal people. 
And of course, Hollywood would want you to think that 99% of everybody in America is an atheist. I don't believe in God. Nobody believes in God anymore. Well, everybody believes in God except for a very, very small percent of people in this world. And so he reminds these people, Yudia, Sinichi, Clement, and a whole lot of others, whatever your problems are, heaven's going to solve them, right? I got a bad heart. Heaven's going to solve that. <laughs> I got a bad leg. Heaven's going to solve that. I really don't like you. Get in line. But heaven's going to solve that. You're going to love me up there. You're going to think I'm great. And Paul is telling him, this is earth stuff. Earth stuff should not be dragging us down like this. Earth stuff should not be making us angry like this. Earth stuff, if you're focused on earth stuff, isn't that what Satan did to Jesus? Jesus had an earth problem. He was 40 days, hadn't ate. And Satan says, well, why don't you go to Vegas and gamble? Get a prostitute. Is that what Satan did? He just said, hey, make some bread for yourself. It's reasonable. You need to take care of your earthly hunger. <laughs> but yet, that tiny little bit of focus on earth stuff would have kept Jesus from being able to be our Messiah. No, we want to get our eyes on heaven stuff. Just for a moment here, as we're getting ready to finish off this morning, you might be listening here today or maybe by social media or maybe 10 years from now, and you're asking the question, is my name in the book of life? God wants there to be zero doubt that that's the case. Or are you asking, how can I get my name in the book of life? Let me tell you, 1 John 5, 11 through 13. Listen to the confidence of the Apostle John. This is the testimony, the certainty, the, the will. The word testimony is the same as a will. You make a will. So as executor of the will, I'm telling you 100%, these are the facts. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. God so loves the world, he gave his only begotten Son. God the Father gave his Son. Jesus, as the Son, willingly came. But it was the work of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, living the life, dying, being buried, the third day raising again, that now the Father can no longer see you as a child of wrath, but now the Father can see you as a child of God, equal to a son Jesus. Verse 12 of 1 John 5. He who has the Son, what? Has life. He who does not have the Son, does what? Not have life. Now verse 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may what? Know, be confident, have certainty, 100% guarantee that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. These Judaizers are saying, yeah, it's good you believe in Jesus. You still got to get circumcised and keep uh, the law of Moses. No, just believe, just continue to stand on faith alone. 
In 1 John 1, 12, I quoted it earlier, but to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know, when I read that verse, it's basically just tenderly opening your heart to Jesus. Jesus, I'm worried. Jesus, I'm anxious. Jesus, I'm feeling guilty. Jesus, help me. I mean, that's what the thief on the cross did, wasn't it? Just help me. Remember me. So small, so without knowledge, but that door is huge. And, and actually, when you open that door, the reason you open it, because God's pounding on the other side for you to open it, right? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is convicting you of sin of righteousness and judgment. Jesus is standing at the door knocking, knocking, knocking. And finally, you just open that door a crack going, yeah, you're saved. Believing on him. In John 3, 14 and 15, as Moses was lifted up in the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So when the snakes bit them in the desert, Moses said with a rod, the pole for the banners of the different tribes, he put a, a brass snake up there. Yes, snake representing Satan or evil, sin, wickedness. It was bronze, which is the medal of judgment. We learn that when we see the construction of the tabernacle. And Jesus said, that's actually me. The bronze serpent in the wilderness was a picture of me on the cross. Now, what did they do in the wilderness? Did they have to pray a recited prayer? <laughs> did they have to go and bow down and stay on their knees for 24 hours? What did they do? It was three million people. For a lot of those people, it's like, I can barely see it, but I can see it. Immediately, they were saved by just a quick glimpse. And Jesus says very clearly in the next verse after that, that in verse 15, first John, or John chapter 3, verse 15, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's simple. That's the picture that Jesus gives us. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes, two things happen. You shall not perish and you shall have eternal life. So Jesus in verse 15 basically says John three sixteen, but he doesn't have the perish part in there. And so he adds chapter 16 to, for those skeptics, for those people looking at the, the fine print, saying, okay, yeah, you heard eternal life, but, but what about the perishing part? That's the part that's concerning me. Okay, let me say it again. As a serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man has to be lifted up. And whoever believes in this gift of God shall not perish. Also, you shall have eternal life. Both things happen very clearly and you're never to doubt it. You're never to worry about it again. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. And he goes on to say, it's me. I am the resurrection and the life. It's me. It's not a thing. It's not a doctrine. It's not a piece of paper you sign. It's actually me. I, I'm the one with the life. I'm the one with the forgiveness. I'm the one that gives, writes people's name in the book of life. And if you believe in me, I'm going to write your name in that book of life. 
In John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So simple, isn't it? John 20, 30, 31. Now Jesus did many other signs. This is John giving the conclusion why he wrote the Gospel of John. Many other signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things that I did write were written for this reason, that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's interesting how people make this big list. Oh, you've got to repent. You've got to understand you have the right Jesus. You've got to make sure you have the right sincere heart. You've got to make sure that you're really sorry for your sins. And when all of these things line up together, all these 10 decks in a row, then you believe, then you're saved. There's no ducks at all. <laughs> it's simply believe. In Christ, he is our Savior. Again, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. Very clear. It's not of a godly character. It's not of my ungodly character. It's not of my godly character. It's not of my ungodly or godly character in the future. It's not of myself. When I look at myself, I wish I were greater in character. I wish I were stronger as a Christian. I wish I was more fruitful in my life. When I look at myself, I'm lacking much. And I say, God, are you going to let somebody who, who lacks in character, who's struggling to bear even a tiny bit of fruit, still go to heaven? It's not of yourself. Whatever fruit you bear will be rewards in heaven, but it doesn't in any way have an effect, being fruitful or not being fruitful being weak or being strong. None of those things affect the gift of God. And then he makes it clear, if that's not clear enough, it's a gift of God. If that's not clear enough, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. God doesn't want anybody to say, I'm in heaven because I, I'm that kind of person. I'm a quality person. And God's only letting quality people in heaven, and I happen to be one of them. Of course, everybody knows that. He doesn't want to hear that. Romans eleven twenty nine. since it is a gift of God, it tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, to make it very clear here, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They cannot change. So let's conclude here today. Let me ask you the question, what kind of person is able to be yoked with others or to be at peace and cause the peace in the others? Well, Paul told us already the answer. In Philippians 2, 1 through 5, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy being what? Like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and he says it again, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. In lowliness, humil uh, humble heart, in the lowliness of what? Mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What's the answer? The answer is right there. They had the answer. Paul actually gave them the answers to the final exam. <laughs> they just had to go back and do a little bit of a book report to come up with the answers. Yudia, Zinichi, what's the answer? 
not to just hear what I, ta- I talked about and think it's for other people, but to realize I really wrote those five verses with you guys in mind. And if you guys would just have the mind of Christ, which is my mind that I gave you an example there, and see everybody's better than yourself, seeing everybody's interest support before your own interests, we wouldn't be having this problem. What are other ways in the Bible that teach us how to be at peace or to bring peace to one another? Well, Jesus said it in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed, oh, how happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, wow, sons of God. Anybody want that title? Yeah. So he's, I think the first way is love, right? First Peter 4, 8 says, Above all things, all other spiritual duties, praying, reading the Bible, witnessing, all these other spiritual duties, above all of them, have a fervent love for one another. For love will what? Cover a multitude of sins. And if you know people, if you've lived long enough to know humanity, yeah, we don't just have one or two sins. We've got a multitude of them. And so we just keep having Love, yes, you annoyed me. Yes, you offended me. Yes, you were putting self first and pushing uh, other people out of the way. But for me, I'm just going to be kind and loving. Uh, And that's the second thing. Be a person full of mercy and grace. Again, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Luke 6.36, therefore be merciful, just as equals to the Father also is merciful. How merciful is? He gave his only begotten son. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. James very boldly says in verse, chapter 2, verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. So you may be right. This person is being selfish. You're right. Does it help the situation, you being right? It doesn't. But you being merciful does help the situation. If offended, go to the person. Isn't that what Matthew 18, 15 says? Don't let it fester. Don't let it keep turning to, uh, you know, a little bruise and it turns into gangrene and we've got to cut the whole leg off. (laughs) Deal with it right away. Why still a little cut? Why still a little bruise? Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Go to him. You know what I think the Lord was doing? Is, is telling you emails don't count. Texts don't count. Phone calls don't count. He's telling you that you need to die to yourself and you go to them. You don't call up and say, hey, can you come over here to my house? No, you go to them and say to them, I want to be at peace. Or that offended me. I, I, I can tell you many scenarios I had no knowledge of that I offended people. Remember a guy walking through the, the mall and, and some guy said, hey, Pastor Brian, and, and I completely ignored him according to his story. And, and I said, man, I'm so sorry I didn't see you. You stared right at me for like 30 seconds. I'm like, was I with my family? Oh, yeah, your kids were acting horrible. Um, you, were, you were fighting all of them. Do, do you think maybe I, I looked at you, but I was focused on my, my family? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you, but I would have said hi if I had 
mentally saw you, not just with my eyes. But again, it's all gone now. The guy believed me. Oh, okay, so there's no more issue. Rather than that guy stewing for two years, and then <laughs> I'm at a ball game, and, and he says hi, and I don't say hi to him in a second, and then he's like, that's out. I'm, uh, the guy, he, he preaches it, but he's a horrible person. He, you know, it's like, no, talk to him. Then the final thing here is go to those who need help. That's what Paul said. Dear brother, go to those women. Help them. They're stuck. Don't judge them. Help them. Sooner or later, we're all going to be in a place we need help, right? In Galatians 6.1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, small, big, medium, you who are spiritual restore, which means to mend a broken bone, such as one in the spirit of what? Gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted or in that same trial, which is most likely all sin is common to all men. Lord, thank you for your word here today. And we ask that you would continue to deepen us and strengthen us more and more and more in the knowledge of you as we go line upon line, precept upon precept. So often you tell us what we need weeks before we need it. So Lord, we ask you to help us keep these thoughts in mind as we go into this coming week, as we go into this coming month, as we go into this coming season that you are feeding us with the manna that we are going to need coming up. For some, it's the very manna they need today. And we ask that you would fill their hearts and their minds as they look over the notes and maybe re-listen to the sermon and, or maybe just study the verses, that you would just speak deeper and deeper into their soul and tell the very truths of God taught about here today become a part of them. And there is, they become an involuntary as breathing itself because the word of God is in them and abides in them and they abide in you and you abide in them by your spirit and by the word. Wash us, cleanse us in Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen.